Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of Romans, chapter 2. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. People, you know, think they're Christians. And you say, hey, are you a Christian? Well, you know, my my grandfather was a pastor of the First Baptist Church. Well, that's not what I asked you. Are you a Christian? Well, I was baptized. Well, that's not what I asked you. Are you a Christian? Well, I had my first communion. I had my confirmation. Catholic. You a Christian? No, I'm Catholic. (laughs) Listen, I was Catholic, too, for many years. Went through confirmation, went through my first communion, did the whole Catholic thing. And I can honestly tell you, I was Catholic, but I wasn't a Christian. Jesus didn't say, be ye Catholic. (laughs) Jesus didn't say, be ye Protestant. Jesus didn't say, be ye Baptist. (laughs) He didn't say, be ye Lutheran, be ye Wesleyan, be ye anything, but be ye a follower of me. Jesus didn't say follow a program. He said, follow me. Jesus didn't say follow man. He said, follow me. Jesus didn't say follow religion. He said, what saints follow? Me. It means follow him. Not the religion. And what happens is when you're trying to share with a moral person, are you listening? When you're trying to share with a religious person, it's almost like you kind of have to first get them unsaved in order to get them saved. The first thing you got to do with a religious or moral person is you got to pull pull that religious rug from under them, which then makes them mad. And then you've got to show them their need for the gospel. And that's exactly what Paul's doing here in our text. He's trying to share with them as if they are unsaved so that he can get them saved. And Paul says, you are inexcusable, oh man, whoever you are. That judges another because you're condemning yourself because you do the same thing. Notice Paul says, we know that the judgment of God is according to truth. You see that in verse 2? God's judgment is based on truth. Now listen, give me your attention. That could be good news or that could be bad news. It could be good news because God knows your heart. You know, people say, well, God knows my heart. You know, yeah, brother, you're doing sin. That's not right. Well, God knows my heart. Well, that's the truth. You could not have said anything more true were. God does know your heart. God knows your mind. God knows your motives. He knows your sins. He knows the circumstances that surround that sin. And the good thing is, the good news is when you stand before God, you won't have to explain all that. <laughs> that's good news. 
but it can be also bad news in that God's judgment is based on truth. It can be bad news because God does know. He also knows the intention of your heart and he will judge based on absolute truth. Nobody is getting away with anything. That is why are you listening when the Bible says that God's judgment is just and it is right. It's because he is judging based on absolute truth. You see, when we judge, we based on whoever's talking to us at that time truth. No, they didn't say that. Are you kidding me? Oh, no, she didn't. This is my truth at the moment. Now I'm going to judge. God has absolute truth. Are you with me? And that's why God's judgment is based on truth. Notice Paul says in verse three and four, Paul says, because you are religious and because you are a moralist, do you think, look at it again in verse three and four, do you think you will escape God's judgment? Do you honestly think that in the day of judgment, you will stand before God and God will say, well, you know what? You're an exception to the rule. I mean, after all, you did help Jerry's kids. Hello. I mean, do you think that God's going to make you an exception because you helped the church building project? Do you think you'll escape judgment because you put an extra 10 bucks in the offering? Or you cook for the priest or you cook for the pastor? Do you honestly believe that you're going to go down your own personal list of do's and don'ts and think that because of your own religious self, you will escape God's judgment? Paul says in verse four, look at it again. Or do you despise the riches of his goodness and forbearance and long suffering? And don't you know it's the goodness of God that leads men to repentance? This word despise, you ought to write this down, literally means to look down at the nose or to look down the nose. To look down the nose, despise. Paul says, do you think you can look down the nose at God and his goodness? Goodness could be translated kindness. Do you think you can look down the nose at God's forbearance? Could be translated tolerance. Do you think that you can look down the nose at God's long-suffering? Could be translated patience. You think you can look down the nose at God's goodness? You know, listen, the problem with God's goodness is that it is often misinterpreted. What do you mean, Rodney? Well, see, some people think when God doesn't judge them for their sin, that it means that God is tolerant of sin. You know, listen, we talked about this last week. God isn't tolerant of sin. Remember, we talked about God is allergic to sin. God is intolerant of sin. And even worse yet, some people think that God's long suffering, God's goodness and patience is God's approval. God doesn't judge me. He must approve. Well, I know, you know, we've been living together, but we're married in the spirit. Well, we didn't go to the the judge or to the church and get married legally. There's nothing legal, but we went to the mountains and got married in the spirit. And then afterward, we hugged the tree. (laughs) Shut up. (laughs) What is this? (laughs) Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Oh, and God, he understands. I mean, we don't need to be married and everything. God understands. If God didn't like it, why doesn't he stop me? Well, you know, I know I'm doing drugs and everything like that, but if God didn't like it, well, then why doesn't he stop me? 
And then I've had people say, you know, if God doesn't like it, then let a bolt of lightning right now come down here and strike me right now. And I'm like. (laughs) Back away from the idiot. No, this is crazy. Don't touch. Don't tempt God. Somebody say amen. amen. Don't tempt God. If God didn't like it, he must approve. Listen, God, here's why God, here's why. Listen, God isn't judging your sin, not because he is tolerant and not because he approves, but God is waiting for you to respond to the conviction of the Holy Spirit. It's his goodness, his forbearance, his long suffering is there to bring you to life. And notice the Bible says it's the goodness of God that leads you to repentance, not drives you to repentance. God's goodness is gentle. It leads you to repentance. It doesn't drive you to repentance. You see, when you drive something to repentance, it always ends in disaster. Cain was driven away as a fugitive and a vagabond when he killed his brother Abel. Judas hung himself and was driven by anguish and remorse because he betrayed the Lord. You see, the goodness of God lovingly leads us to repentance. It's his goodness. Don't you remember Luke chapter 15, the story of the prodigal son? You remember the story as he was out living la vida loca, (laughs) the wildlife. Remember the story? And he decides that he had enough with the party scene. And so he goes home. And the Bible tells us in Luke chapter 15, verse 17. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare? And I perish with hunger. You see, he came to himself. But what caused him to come to himself? It was the realization that the father is good. What caused him to come to himself was the goodness of the father. It was the fact that he knew that the father had good things in store for him. His father cared. And it's the goodness of the father that brought him to repentance. Notice the Bible says the goodness of God leads to repentance, not the badness of men. What do you mean? I mean this. You can't feel guilty enough, remorseful enough to cause yourself to want to repent. I'm so bad. Oh, this is terrible. I did a terrible thing and I need to repent. Listen, that's not going to cause true repentance. It's not. You know why? Because give it a week, give it a month, give it a day. Tomorrow morning, you'll feel better about it, whatever it is. You see, not the badness of men that leads to repentance. You can't feel bad enough about your sin. What draws you to repentance is the goodness of God. When you get to the place, listen to me, when you get to the place where you realize that God is good, when you realize that God is merciful, when you realize God has been good to you, God has blessed you, God has taken care of you, God has provided for you, the goodness of God will cause you to say, you know what, God does not deserve this from my life. God does not deserve for me to act this way toward him after he's been so good to me. That's what happened with the prodigal son. His dad didn't do anything to him. He went to his dad and asked his dad for an inheritance. He said, Dad, give me my money. Do you know in that culture to go to the father and ask for your inheritance was to wish your father dead? 
You understand? Dad, I wish you were dead. Give me my money. Give me my inheritance now. He got out there and said, man, the father's been good to me. I need to go home. And he went home. It's the goodness of God that leads men to repentance, not the badness of men. When you realize how good God's been to you, you'll repent. God is good. Amen, saints? God is good, and he only deserves good from you. God was good to Rodney before Rodney became a Christian. God is good to you. If you're here this morning and you're not a believer and you don't know God, God has been good to you. And you may not recognize it right now. You might not understand it right now. You might not even appreciate it right now. But it doesn't change the fact that we serve an awesome and great and good God, and he's been good to you. God is always good to people. That's what they mean when they say he is a good God. It means he's good to people. And the goodness of God leads men to repentance. Lord, help me. I got a lot to cover, y'all. All right, look at verse 5. If you're looking at it, say, I'm looking at it. And pray. In accordance in verse 5, with your hardness, notice, and your impenitent heart, you are, underline this, treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render or pay back to each one according to his deeds. Eternal life to those who, by patient continuance and doing good, seek for glory, honor, and immortality. But to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation and wrath await them, tribulation and anguish on every soul of man who does evil of the Jew first and then also to the Greek. But glory and honor and peace to everyone who works what is good to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in verse 11, read it with me. There is no partiality with God. Listen, give me your attention. If someone is moral and a religious person and they're actually hardening their heart against God, Paul says, although they think they are treasuring up merit with God. See, the religious person thinks that he's treasuring up merit with God. He's getting in good favor with God. Paul says, although the religious person is, thinks that he's treasuring up merit with God, they are actually treasuring up or storing up the wrath of God. You know, here's the imagery. As a person continues to stub, be stubborn and unrepentant, their heart gets harder and harder, and they refuse to change, and they're storing up wrath. It's almost like you're dropping a coin into a piggy bank, and every single sin is just building and building and building a coin until one day it's time for the piggy bank to be opened. And how do you open a porcelain piggy bank? You take a hammer and you hit it, and you come down on it, quote-unquote. You see, you face the judgment of God. Paul says God is, will, is just and he will render and deliver and pay off every man according to his deeds. Eternal life to those who do good and seek his glory and honor. But to those who do not obey him, they will get indignation and wrath. For God is no respecter of persons. Literally, that means in the Greek language that God does not see any man's face. In other words, you get no favor with God because you're wealthy. You get no favor with God because you're rich or good looking. You get no favor with God because you've had a hard knock life. God judges equally. God is equitable. 
God does not show favoritism. God sees no man's face. God judges everybody on the same standard. He is no respecter of person. He does not show partiality. Look at verse 12. For as many as have sinned without the law will also perish without law. And as many as have sinned in the law will be judged by the law. For not the hearers of the law are just in the sight of God, but the doers of the law will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do the things in the law, these, although not having the law, are law to themselves. I'll explain in a minute. Who show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and between themselves their thoughts accusing or else excusing them in the day, verse 16, when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. Give me your attention. Paul has just said that there is no partiality with God. So beginning in verse 12 now, he says judgment for sin can come with, watch this, or without the law. You see, the Jew might think that they had special treatment because they had the law. And the Gentile might think, well, we have special treatment because we didn't have the law. And Paul says the person who knows the law will be judged by the law. And the person who doesn't know the law will be judged by his conscience, which reveals the law written on their hearts. Either way, God will judge. You know, people are like, well, what about the guy on the island? Well, first of all, what is that guy's name? Who is he? Well, if he never heard the gospel, nobody's ever come to preach to him. Listen, the Bible is clear. Then he has the law written on his heart. It's this thing called conscience. Every man has a conscience. You're born with a conscience. You know right or wrong. You don't teach your children to do wrong. They just do. <laughs> Parents say amen. You didn't tell them that. Listen, listen, Johnny. Go steal a cookie out the cookie jar. No, they just do. And then they just lie. Did you steal the cookies, Johnny? No. <laughs> well, what's all that chocolate chips all over your face? Acne? They just do. Because the law, the conscience, the right and wrong is in your heart. Listen, in no culture, in no civilization around the world will you ever see that murder is okay or adultery is okay or stealing is okay. They have certain tribal rules. You see, those without the law are a law within themselves, their conscience either accusing or excusing them. And then notice in verse 16 as we Wrap it up. Paul says in verse 16, God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ, Paul says, according to my gospel. Now listen, Paul isn't saying that Jesus is going to judge according to Paul's gospel. Paul is saying simply this. The gospel that I have been preaching in this is the gospel. You can come to Jesus as the most worthless sinner and he'll forgive you and he'll cleanse you. And he'll pronounce you righteous and justified that you can't earn. And Paul's gospel included, if you turn away from forgiveness provided in Jesus, you will stand at the great white throne judgment. 
quickly. Two judgments spoken of in the Bible. The Bema Seat judgment, which is a judgment for believers. If you're a believer, you die, you're going to stand a Bema Seat and get rewards. But if you're an unbeliever and you die, you are going to stand at the great white throne judgment. It's a judgment for the unbeliever. And it's there at the great white throne. Are you listening? It is there at the great white throne that God is going to open the books and every thought that you ever thunk is recorded in those books. Everything that you've ever looked at is recorded on record. Every idle word is judged. Everything that you have done and every act that you have committed is on record. And every moment of your life since you were born is recorded and in a vault stored in heaven. Ecclesiastes 12, 14 says God will judge and bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. Listen, it's at the great white throne judgment that there will be a judge, but no jury, a prosecution, but no defense, a sentence, but no appeal. No one will be able to accuse the judge or excuse themselves. It's at the great white throne that you will be found guilty. And there is absolutely no hiding from this throne. No one can escape the great white throne judgment. You know, I hear people say when I get in the presence of God, when I die and I'm standing in the presence of God, I'm going to ask him this and I'm going to ask him why this and how come the starving people in Africa and I'm so AIDS and all this stuff. People, that's stupid. When you stand before God, listen to me. Listen to me. Listen to me. When you stand before God, you're not going to be God, let me tell you something. (laughs) Who are you? You know, you're going to stand before God. When you stand before God, you know what you're going to say? You're going to go, whoa, and fall in your face. And then God's going to say, stand up. Gabriel, go ahead and push the play button on the DVD. (laughs) And your life is going to be displayed. That's my your life sounds going fast forward. And the unfortunate thing, that nowhere in the clip will we be able to see that you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Nowhere. We'll see plenty of instances where you were helping people across the street. And Jerry's kids, you supported Jerry Lewis a thon. And we'll see plenty of, I did a good thing as I helped the lady get her groceries in the car. We'll see plenty of good, moral, religious works. But you'll not see a moment where you accepted Jesus Christ. And it will be at that moment, my friend, listen. It will be at that moment where you'll hear the faithful words. Depart from me, I never knew you. And that's a sad thing. And yet, Jesus Christ, the Bible says, went to Calvary's cross so that you don't have to experience the great white throne judgment. That's why Jesus died, so that you can hear the words, well done, my good and faithful servant, enter now into the joy of the Lord. That's why Jesus died, so that you wouldn't have to depend on your religious works, because you can't be good enough. You can't be smart enough. 
You cannot be righteous in yourself. Listen, you can depend on your own righteousness or you can depend on the righteousness provided, brought to you by Jesus Christ. Me? I'm holding on to Jesus. <laughs> I'm, I'm holding on tight because I, I am so unrighteous, so filthy in my nature. And I realize what Christ has done for me. I'm not trying to be religious. Because I understand that religion never saved anybody. You know what saves people? Jesus saves. My friend, listen. That's not a religion. That's a relationship. Follow me, Jesus said. Don't depend on yourself. Because you'll always come short. That's Paul's point. Paul says, listen, you come up short when you try to work in your own moral behavior and your own religiosity and your own hypocrisy. You will come up short. No matter what, God's going to judge every man and his judgment will be fair and right and true. That's his name. He's truth. And the interesting thing is when you study the Bible, now you listen, when you study the Bible, every time you see the word truth, you think of Jesus. Every time you see the word truth, you think of Jesus. Notice that we know that the judgment of God, the Bible says in verse 2, is according to truth. Every time you see truth, you think of Jesus. Why? Because don't you remember Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You know what that tells us? God is going to judge every man by Jesus. What did you do with his son? How did you respond to his son? Did you believe in him? Did you trust in him? Or did you try to perform your way to heaven? I say trust him. Lord, help us to trust Jesus. You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch in Calvary Chapel, Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. You may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the Media Library on our website at cccary.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light.